Good morning, church. Good morning. What a privilege, what a blessing to be back here. A couple weeks ago, I was here and I preached on the second coming of Jesus. So we are going to go back to the study uh, as we review some of our foundational uh, doctrines and beliefs. We're going to go back with, to death. Uh, sorry to that, but today particularly we're going to be talking about prayer as we begin this journey of 50 days of prayer. And speaking of prayer, before I go into the study of the word, let's, let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the Sabbath day. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to congregate here and to fellowship and now, as the time has come for us to go into your word, I pray that you may inspire each and every one of us. May you open our eyes, our ears, our minds, that we may give attention to your word, that we may give a special place in our hearts to what you have prepared for us today. And I ask you, Lord, particularly for myself, that every word that I say, May carry the message you have for us, for all of us today. May I be used as your instrument. May my lips be anointed, that I don't say anything out of my own personal ideas. But may I share your word for us today. That's my humble prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may have heard this story. There was a man, a, an evangelist called George Miller from England. He was actually from Germany. He was born in Germany, but he moved to England uh, at some point in his adult life with a strong sense of mission. And a story is told that he was crossing the Atlantic to North America on a ship, on a, on a, on a big ship, a passenger ship. And as they were traveling, they were very near to the, to the coast of Newfoundland. And this dense, immense, intense fog took over. And the captain of the ship didn't know what to do, and he actually had to slow down. And George Miller was all concerned with that because he had an appointment. This was Thursday. He had an appointment in Quebec City uh, two days from that, on the Saturday. And he was concerned that he wouldn't make it in time for his appointment, for his preaching appointment. So he went down to the captain and said, Captain, you've got to do something. You've got to move on because I have an appointment this Saturday. And the captain said, I don't know, the thought to himself, I don't know where, where this lunatic is coming from because I can't move forward. There is dense fog. Can he see this? And he said to George Miller, sorry, sir, but I don't think you understand it. I can't go forward. I mean, for the safety of all of us, I have to stop. And George Miller said, well, if you cannot take me there in time for my commitment, then I have to find something else. God will provide for something else. And after saying this, even more, the captain thought, well, this man is crazy, really. What's he talking about? He can't, he can't get away from this boat. He can't go anywhere. But George Miller took, talked to the captain and said, well, I'm going to pray for this. And God will provide a solution. So I'm going down to the, to the chart room and I'm going to pray. And the captain said, well, if you want to do that, that's fine. But I don't see how that's going to change the situation. But the captain followed him. 
And George Miller said on the way, you know, my, my Lord has never disappointed me in 52 years. And I have never broken a speaking engagement in 52 years. The Lord always provides. So you better believe that He will. Well, the captain followed him and they went to the charge room. And they knelt there. And George Miller started to, preach, to, to pray. Sorry. And he prayed fervently to the Lord that the Lord would bless and would dissipate the fog and they would be able to continue on. He finished his prayer and the captain started to pray. And as the captain was starting to pray, George Miller turned to him and said, No, 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 you don't need to pray. And why is that? Well, first, because you don't believe. So you never believed that God would do anything. And second, because I believe my God is powerful. And in fact, I believe He has already provided a solution. Let's go up there. Let's open the, the doors. Let's open the window and let's look out. And sure enough, as they went back up to the bridge, they opened the doors, the windows, and they saw that the fog had completely gone away. God had resolved it, and on the next Saturday, on this, that following Saturday, he was able to be in Quebec and to fulfill and meet his promised engagement. While we look at this story here, we hear this story and we think about all the, the great stories of people of faith and the Bible and throughout history, and we think to ourselves, is this something really real? Is this something that could really happen with me? Is this something that I, would, I could really take, take possession of? Well, I have to tell you that the Bible says that, yes, it is true. It is real. And you can experience that. But how can we experience this? How can we experience a life of faith, a life where we, we can pray and we can see God's response. Well, that's what we're going to see in the Bible today. You remember that the story in this is actually part of the scripture reading we did this morning, the story of Elijah. When Elijah thought he was all by himself, he didn't have anyone along with him. And he prayed that God would, would withhold the rain. And God did it for three years. And then the Bible says that he prayed again, and God sent rain. Doesn't that look great? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to have that in your life? That you'd, you'd pray, and God would respond clearly and do exactly what you asked for. And then you'd pray again, and God would respond again, and God would continue to respond and show his power in your life. Is this something real? Is this something you can really put your finger on? Or does that look like a far-fetched dream that maybe was real for Elijah, for George Miller, for other people in the Bible, but not so much for me? Well, you know, God's miracles are not recorded in the Bible just to make it a, a fancy book. Just to make it look fancy and attractive. God's promises are not recorded in the Bible just to trigger some sort of wishful thinking in your life. You can trust the Lord. You really can. You can trust His Word. You can believe His promises. You can rely on Him. 
You can come to Jesus, you may come to Jesus every day. You may come to Jesus with everything you have, with all your burdens. You can come just the way you are. And all your questions, doubts, fears, challenges, that's never going to be too much for Jesus. You can take it all. You can trade your filthy rags of righteousness, of your own righteousness. You can trade that for Jesus' own righteousness. You can trade all the uncertainty of your life for the peace that God can provide that surpasses all understanding. But how can we live this effective life of prayer? Well, I want to invite you to go back with me to the Bible. And we're going to read here. I'm going to read from the New King James Version, actually. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. James chapter 5, 13 to 20. If you found that in your Bible, you can say amen. Not all of you found it yet. So if you, if you did find it, you can say amen. You won't have the text there, so you have to look it up in your Bibles. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James, who, who was the Lord's brother, was the brother of Jesus. James is here encouraging us to practice prayer, thanksgiving, and consecration among the community of faith. You know, after you have children, that sounds like music. I don't know why. It used to bother me very much, but at some point it became music to my ears. But James is encouraging the community of faith to pray, to practice thanksgiving, and to consecrate before the Lord. He starts by saying, if anyone is suffering, let him pray, in verse 13. So if you are suffering, whether from a physical disease, 
If you are suffering from the burden of pain, if you are suffering because of sins you have committed, if you are suffering for someone else, if you are suffering because you have a burden for the salvation of others, let him pray. Pray to the Lord. Search for the Lord. Search for him in prayer. Come to him in prayer. And he'll hear you. But James also says that if you are, if you are cheerful, if your life is going good, if things are happening all well for you, if you've prayed and God has responded and that has filled your heart with, with joy, you sing songs to the Lord. Praise Him. Express your praise. Express your joy by praising the Lord. So a church that only prays is only doing half of the job. Because you're expected to pray, but you have to be grateful, right? And that's what we teach our children, isn't that? You must say thank you. You must look in the eye and say thank you. I appreciate that. It's great to receive gifts, to receive gifts, but it's greater still to thank the Lord. So if you are cheerful, if your heart is full of joy, sing songs. Express that, that people may look at you and see someone who lives a joyful life with the Lord. You know, many people think that living a Christian life is just a burden. That you have several regulations you have to abide by. And if you don't, you are doomed. But the life of a Christian should be the most joyful life of all the people on the earth. Now, James, amen. I like to hear amens. I think I told you that in the past. Don't be shy. Now, James goes on and says uh, that we need to pray for the sick. For the sick. And we need to read these two passages carefully. Verses 14 and 15. And he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So, we, hear, we see here that when someone is sick, they should call for prayer. They should call the elders for prayer. And the elders should come and anoint the person. And James is saying that the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the name of the and the Lord will raise him up. But there is something else that James continues to say here at the end of verse uh, 15. He says that if he has committed sins, if the sick person has committed sins, he will be he will be forgiven. So is James saying here that God will always heal us? God will always restore those who are sick. To their full and complete health. Let's talk about this. Let's think about this. First. Uh, one thing that we need to understand. Is that the, the, the uh, practice of anointing with oil. Should be something that is required by the sick person. Right? Uh, lately I've seen people do that in, in, in massive meetings. Like in, even in evangelistic meetings. They would offer anyone, if anyone is sick here, you may come up to the front and we're going to pray for you and anoint you with oil and the Lord will heal you. This is not the biblical 
uh, example. That's not what we find here. Uh, the person who is sick has to call for the elders of the church to begin with. It has to be their desire to be anointed so that the Lord may, may heal them. So the elders of the church will come and they will pray over him and they will anoint him or anoint the person in the name of the Lord. And then the prayer of faith will heal the sick, will save them, and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sins, they will be forgiven. So we cannot separate the anointing with oil and the prayer of faith from the forgiveness of sin. And for sins to be forgiven, what must we do that, so that our sins are forgiven? What must we do first? We must confess them. We must recognize that we have sinned. We must confess those sins, those sins, and then our sins can be forgiven. So we cannot expect to live a life that is uh, irresponsible. We can't expect to be irresponsible in regard to our health, and then call the elders of the church and expect to be healed. We cannot abuse our bodies and expect God to protect us from sickness. And if the elders come and the church prays for that person, this is a private ceremony, right? And they pray for that person. Should we always expect the person to be healed? Yes or no? Some say yes, some say no. James says the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. We must understand the following, that whenever someone is healed, it is not because the prayer was a beautiful and fancy prayer. If someone is healed, it was not because there was any powerful and, or miraculous power in the oil that is dropped in their forehead. If someone is healed, it is not because the pastor is consecrated. If someone is healed, it's not because the elders are committed. If someone is healed, is because who healed them? It's because God, is because of God, is because the Lord healed them. And this is what James is saying, that the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. It will not be by anything else. James is not saying that every sickness will be healed. But he's saying that whenever that happens... It is only because the Lord raised them up. Do we understand this clearly? If you pray or if someone prays and you, f you are healed from any sickness, someone else is. It will not because, be because of the prayer itself. It will, not because, it will not even be because of faith itself. Because there is no, no miraculous power in it. But the power comes from God. Is that clear? We have the privilege to have access to this power. God gives us the privilege to, to come boldly before His throne and ask for, for blessings. But at the end of the day, whether God, God heals the person immediately or not, that's His prerogative and that's His power. It's going to be only by the power of God that someone will be healed. But it is our duty to pray for one another. 
It is our duty to confess our sins, to leave them behind, and to come to God. And God then will be able to forgive us and to heal us. And if you look at the New Testament, actually throughout the whole Bible, if you come to the New Testament and you see the miracles that Jesus performed, you see that in the, in the Hebrew, in the Jewish culture, there was this thinking that uh, this, the, the sickness of someone would be closely associated to the sins they had committed. Right? And even though we don't believe that God is a punitive God, but we believe that when, when we don't follow God's instructions, you may be prone to get sick and have sickness in your life. So whenever Jesus would heal someone, you, you may remember this. Jesus would come and say, your sins are forgiven and they would be healed. So by the forgiveness of sin, through the forgiveness of sin, we can, we can be ready for God to operate in us physical healing. But we must confess first. We must be forgiven first so that may happen. And like I said, I just said, so that may happen. It's not always that God will, will provide the healing. And I don't have an explanation for that. I don't have an explanation why some people will be healed and some people won't. One day we may understand this in heaven, but I don't have an, I don't have an answer for that. But we have to believe that God in His infinite mercy and wisdom, He knows what is best. And even though it may represent suffering for, my, for us here. But God still uh, in his overall plan. In his overarching plan. God has a plan for you and God cares for you and for me. Now James is not saying either that if someone is 120 years old. And they feel, feel sick. That we should pray that God would restore their health. And that they would jump and feel like a, a 30 year old. Right? Because uh, that's how nature operates. And uh, at some point, we all have our, our strength uh, weakened. We all have our bodies weakened, and, and that's how it is. But we should understand that healing comes only from God. Now, James goes on in verse 16, and he says, Confess your trespasses, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. When we come to one another and we confess to one another, we humble ourselves and then we can be healed. We can be emotionally healed, we can be spiritually healed, we can have our relationships restored. So the Lord is calling us to confess our sins to each other. That doesn't mean that someone that I may have failed in, I, I committed a sin and I come now to the whole church and I say I sinned this week by doing this horrible thing. That's not what the Bible is saying. But the Bible is saying that if you, if you wrong someone, if you have hurt someone, you must come to them and humbly ask for forgiveness. And this is a hard thing to do, isn't it? Oh, maybe not for you, I think just for me. But it is a hard thing to do, to come up to someone and ask for forgiveness. And say, I, I have done wrong against you. And I, I'm sorry, ask for your forgiveness. And let's pray together. And I would say that it requires as much humility to ask for forgiveness 
as it does to, to offer forgiveness. Because when someone comes up to you and asks for forgiveness, you have to be humble enough to forgive them and, and erase that and, and clean the slate and, and start all over again. But that's what the Bible is saying. That's the biblical counsel. And we have, to, we have to ask God to help us do this. Confess to one another. Humble ourselves to one another. And pray for one another that we may heal all those wounds, all those bruises that we have, that we have been emotionally and socially hurt. They will be healed by humility and prayer. And James goes forward now in, verses, in verse 19 and 20. And he says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It is our, our duty to go after those who have, who have wandered away from the truth. You know, earlier in this chapter, James talks about Job. And he mentions Job as an example of patience and, and endurance. And if you look at Job's story, and you can turn your Bibles to Job chapter 42, verse 10. Job 42, verse 10. What does it say there? Look at this. God was just about to restore Everything that Job had. And actually give him more than he had before. Multiplied. But just before God would do that. Look at what happens. Job 42.10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. When he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So when was it that the Lord turned uh, turned around Job's losses when he when he prayed for his friends. So there is something special about doing something for others, and not only praying for you for yourself. There is something special about praying for others. There is something special about going after those who need to be brought back to the fold of the good shepherd. And James is saying that when you do that, you are saving someone from death. You are saving yourself from death. You are doing what the Lord expects you to do to go after those who need to be rescued. And I want to finish this talk on, on prayer with two other thoughts. And after I finish here, I'm going to, to give some explanation in regard to the 50 days of prayer. More, uh, more practical explanation. But... There are two other thoughts here that really strike me. One is in verse 16. The last part of verse 16. When James says that the, the effective. Right? The effective prayer. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh, that's how the New King James uh, translates it. The King James says. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. And the English Standard Version says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I must tell you, I love this. Why? Because the word in Greek here means exactly that. Something that 
works from within. So that's the meaning of the word that has been translated as effective or effectual. That it works from within. And this is a lovely thought. Because when you pray fervently, when you pray consecratedly, and you bow down before the Lord, and you, you, rise, you, you raise your fervent prayers, your prayers start to work from within you. Not there is any power inside of you, but your relationship with God starts to change you. The, the way you approach things, the way your perspective in life, all of that is changed. So God starts to make a work within you. That's the same word, the same expression that Paul uses in Philippians 2.13. When he says that it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The word works there, the God who works that's the same word that we find here in James 5.16. God starts to work from within you. And He gives you the power to will and to do within you a change. So we must pray fervently. And then the Lord will start to work within us. But it's not just a matter of praying fervently. It's not just a matter of praying for for two hours straight. That's not necessarily fervent prayer. James says it clearly here. The fervent prayer of a righteous person. A righteous man. So you must, you must strive to be righteous before God. So that your prayers may be heard. And how do you become righteous before the Lord? Why we, you have no righteousness in yourself. I have no righteousness in myself. But I have to live. I have to, to ask God. That he will grant me. The righteousness of Christ. And once. I become righteous. Through the righteousness of Christ. Then my prayers will be effective. Because it is Jesus in me. That will work. All the difference. Amen. And there is one more example here in James. And that's the last thought I want to bring to you. He talks about Elijah. He says that Elijah was a man with a nature in verse 17. With a major uh, a nature, sorry, just like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. Now Elijah's story is found, this story is found in 1 Kings 17 and 18. Here James is given a, a very uh, summarized version of the story. But if you go back there to Kings and, and read the story there, you see that Elijah predicted that there will be a drought in the land for three and a half years. And three and a half years later, the Lord told him that he was going to send rain. So Elijah goes to present before the king Ahab and tell him that rain was about to come. And he gives the message to the king and the king says, okay, I'm going to, to get prepared for that. And Elijah goes out, but it's still, it's still dry. There is not a sign of, of rain coming in the sky. And Elijah goes out to the top of the mount. He, he, he brings his assistant with him. 
And he says to his assistant, okay, I'll be praying here. And you go out there and look to the sky and see if there is any sign of rain. And as we read here in James, it looks like, well, he prayed again and the rain came. Rain came. Actually, when we read the, the account there in, in, in 1 Kings, Elijah sent his servant out seven times. And all six times, there was no sign of rain whatsoever. And he kept sending his servant there, okay, go back there, go back there and look. And finally, his servant went there and looked to the sky. And every time he would go back, Elijah would pray even more, right? And then on the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, Now I see a cloud just about the size of a hand of a man. And Elijah said, Yes, it's the rain coming. So what's the lesson here? We must be righteous. We must accept the righteousness of Christ. And we must pray earnestly, fervently. Because Elijah was a man just like we were. But he prayed fervently according to God's will. And God manifested his power. Now I must tell you this here this morning, brothers and sisters. This is the promise of God's word. This is the promise of God. That the same power that was available to Elijah. The same power that was available to Moses. That was available to the people of Israel. The same power that was available to Jesus himself. The same power that was available to disciples. It is still available to us for us today. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever? Do we really believe that? Do we? Okay, so if we do, His power is still available for all of us today. So, we must keep that in mind. I know we have people here in this church who are sick and are wishing for, for healing. I know we have people here who are struggling with, you know, with faults, with defects of character. And they're looking to overcome that. I know we must have people here who are struggling with sinful thoughts. There may be people who are struggling with addictions. There may be people who are struggling even to understand God's ways and God's plan for their lives. Now I have a word for you today. And the word I have for you today is that I don't have a solution for that. But I know someone who does. I know someone who can solve your problems. I know someone who can, who can. I believe in Him. I believe in God. I believe in His power. I believe His power is still effective today. I've experienced that power in my life. I've been given many chances by God. And I thank Him for that. And the same power is available to the whole church. Now as we individually... As we individually come closer to God. And as we individually experience that power in our lives. The church as a community will become a powerful, a powerhouse here in this community. I still don't hear many amens. Maybe it's my accent. I don't know. Maybe I should say it in French. But you know. As we come close to the Lord, we'll be able to experience that power in our lives. 
And the whole church will experience this power and become a powerhouse for the preaching of the gospel here in this community. And I'll finish with Psalm 85, 6. Psalm 85, 6. Psalm 85, 6. Look, look at what is God's desire for you and for me. The psalmist is asking, O Lord, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in thee? May that be our experience. May we be revived in the Lord and experience joy, and may we rejoice in the Lord always. God bless you.